Welcome to the Abide In Me podcast, where we're countering the malaise of modern culture and superficial spirituality by taking aim at the truth. We'll be looking for answers to the big life questions. What was our origin? Where can we find meaning and purpose? How do we discern between good and evil? Fact and fiction? And what is our ultimate destination? All links and resources are provided in the podcast notes. Enjoy this week's episode. I want to talk to you about the spiritual disciplines today. And I was just beginning to pray with my Bible opened, praying through the Psalms. And I started thinking about this idea that is highlighted in a book that I've started to read again, which is meditating, Christian meditation and what that means. And then I started to think about the kind of meditation that I used to do when I was into the Eastern practices from Buddhism and also how our culture really perceives meditation today. And I thought instead of thinking about that, I'd do a podcast about that because Christian meditation is very different to Eastern kinds of meditation and Eastern kinds of meditation are the kinds of meditation that are so popular today. They are about clearing the mind, being peaceful, cultivating a sense of detachment from the world. They're also supposed to be about increasing our concentration, but that's normally not something that people focus on. They focus on peace and drowning out the stress and the noise of the world so that they can then go back out into the world with this grounded sense of peace. So whatever happens in life, they won't emotionally react to it. That seems to be what people are looking for. And so if we look at some of the kind of modern day meditation teachers, probably Eckhart Tolle springs to mind and his demeanor, I think, is what people are going for. Or maybe even people who are looking to the Dalai Lama who speaks a lot about happiness and, of course, a lot about inner peace and meditation. These are the people that people are trying to emulate, and yet they can never quite get there. It becomes another image that they want to project onto the world, and so the caricature of modern-day spiritual people is this very kind of floaty, softly-spoken person who looks as if just nothing troubles them, nothing concerns them. They're just in a state of constant peace because they're operating on a higher plane of existence and they've detached from the illusion. Sam Harris, who also projects or has tried to project this spiritual image, who also has a meditation app, is I think someone else who people try to emulate. But as I've said for quite a long time now, these are just spiritual masks and projections. And you see that if you actually watch particularly his behaviour, which becomes incredibly unhinged emotionally when dealing with a lot of the problems in the world. This would be the same for actor 
Jim Carrey, who also adopted this almost Alan Watts kind of spiritual persona, talking about letting go of the self and letting go of the ego and everything is an illusion and all of the spiritual tropes. And then more recently, he has, of course, been showing himself to be quite emotionally unstable. And so we've got to ask ourselves the question, haven't we? Firstly, why do we want to be this detached person? And why does this kind of meditation seemingly not actually get us there? We might get some relief from these spiritual practices because cultivating any kind of detachment will eventually make you detached, will make you dissociate from your problems. And so you have the appearance of being peaceful. But long term, they don't actually work. And we can see this not just because of the people that I've mentioned who clearly haven't reached this pinnacle of peace and detachment in all situations or even most situations. They can act as if they are spiritual and peaceful for a time, but very often that mask slips and reveals deep rage, deep jealousy, deep denial and delusions in many cases. So why doesn't it work long term? And I think the answer is that we're not supposed to be detached and peaceful all the time. And even though we would like to be that way, and we have these idols that we look towards that tell us we can and should be that way all of the time, only focused on the now, only focused on peace, letting go of all of our emotions, all of our desires, which in turn will lead to us not suffering. That is not, in fact, how human beings are supposed to be. And so it took me a long time to reach that conclusion because I've been steeped in Buddhist practices really since I was about 19. And it really amped up during my 30s, my late 20s and 30s. And these practices, as I said, did give me some relief. But after a time, I realised, oh, I'm just in denial. I'm just running away from my emotions. It's just another way for me to suppress these emotions and for me to not deal with my very real problems by imagining myself in different realities and by completely detaching from this reality. And so I started to notice, actually, this is not working for me long term. And then I started to see the cracks in other people's armour and masks who have been pushing these ideas for decades. And so the, the real awakening started to happen. And at the same time, I came across this book by Richard Foster. So this was probably back in 2015, maybe. And at that point, I was living pretty much alone in a log cabin in rural Scotland. I didn't have any phone signal. I didn't have access to Wi-Fi, the TV, the Internet, unless I made a significant effort to go to a friend's house. And it was three in many ways, blissful years where I was able to completely detach from social media, from what was going on in the world, unless I made a concerted effort 
and I'm still living in the same area in a very rural place, far from the madding crowd. And it did allow me to heal. So in some ways, detaching, certainly from our culture, can be very healing. But it was also during that time that I saw all of the problems with Eastern practices and modern day spiritual practices. I was getting clarity from being within nature without all of the distractions. And I found that I didn't need to do these practices anymore to detach and feel peaceful because I was in a peaceful place in nature. And so this book came across my path at a time when I was not at all interested in Christianity, Christ, his teachings, the Bible, nothing. Very much like many people today. They don't see how it's relevant. Maybe they find it offensive. Maybe it's just a kind of silly thing that no one believes in anymore. There's a caricature of Christianity and Christ. And I had dismissed it along with many other people. And then I had to ask myself why. And it was because of my own bigotry and because I had grown up in this society, basically, that ridicules it and condemns it whilst wanting to keep Jesus as an ascended master, as they say, in the new age, just a really good teacher, a really good guy who had a few good teachings that we still try and live by today. And so this book, A Celebration of Discipline, doesn't appear to be a Christian book. But as soon as I started reading it, I realised that it was by a Christian author because there are many, 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 many references to the Bible. And I nearly didn't read it. I nearly just dismissed it out of hand. And then I had to kind of check myself and say, no, you are interested, not just in spiritual practices for their own sake, but you're interested in finding out what the truth is. So just to dismiss a book out of hand because it's by a Christian author was really showing just a bizarre level of bias that I needed to push through. And so even though during the first reading I didn't look up all the Bible references, I just read the book straight through as it was, I found it to be immensely useful and eye-opening. And it really started to teach me about Christian meditation. That's one of the spiritual disciplines that Richard Foster talks about along with fasting and solitude and, you know, study, lots of things in there. But the meditation chapter was really interesting because he described something that I had already started to understand, which is that meditation is a communication. It's about listening. It's not about trying to have no thoughts. And this communication had already began to open up. I just didn't really have a word for it or any vocabulary around it. There's this idea in the new age of your higher self. That that is what we are getting guidance from. Or maybe people think they're getting guidance from spirit guides or aliens or ETs or, you know, whatever. I didn't really have any label for it, but I did understand very well that I had been guided pretty much my whole life, that I had certainly been protected and provided for in numerous ways. And even coming to this place in Scotland, this rural place, this log cabin where I stayed for three years without paying rent, as soon as I arrived in this very rural place, I was able to find 
simple work. Nothing like what I've been doing before. I was trained as a counsellor and a hypnotherapist. I'd also worked in um, marketing and publishing for many years. But I had taken that leap of faith to leave that life and through a series of very serendipitous events, I'd ended up in this place and I was being taken care of. So I understood there was something else. What I used to call a kind of higher level of consciousness. I never used the word God. It had too much baggage attached. But there was something about the universe that I didn't understand, but I was definitely experiencing. That was leading me to certain places to meet certain people at the right time, even to come across this book where I was walking down a hallway which contained maybe three or four bookcases full of books. And as I walked past, I just happened to glance and I saw this book and I just picked it up and walked out with it. It's kind of like how I actually ended up buying a copy of the Bible in, in 2018, where I was just walking down the high street, minding my own business, and all of a sudden I was crossing the road into the bookshop, going straight for the Bible section, picking up a Bible, paying for it, and walking out the front door. It took about 60 seconds. And so there were truths within it that I could relate to and say, yeah, this is my experience, that I am in some kind of communication. And that actually by that time I had started doing my previous podcast and that was a communication as well. I would just be out walking and then I would just start talking and it would just be a flow. And I hadn't prepared. I wasn't thinking about what I was saying. And it was very clear to me that I was accessing something else that wasn't coming directly from me. And I think many people have this experience. They might have different labels for it. Certainly people have their creative muses or they call it inspiration. But often I would finish those podcasts and the same thing happens now where I listen back and I don't really remember saying a lot of it. And it's not like I'm taken over in a trance or anything, but there's certainly a different level of mind and intelligence coming through, which is how people perceive being in the flow. And so back to the book, back to the meditation, where Richard Foster is saying, yeah, this is about focusing on scripture often, meditating on scripture, having the Bible with you, meditating on particular verses perhaps, but it's about a communication with God. Not just you, as you might do in prayer, listing out all of the things that you're praying for, but actually being in silence and listening. And sometimes talking, sometimes there's a dialogue. And that's actually why I started recording this today, because I thought, well, I'm having this dialogue anyway, I might as well just record it. But he gives a lot of different techniques, and some of them can be quite similar to modern meditation. One of them is placing your hands on your legs, palms down, and just talking about all the things you want God to free you from whether it's selfishness or greed or paranoia or anger. And you do all this with your palms down and then you turn your palms up and you start to ask God for the things that you need, whether it's more peace, a more loving attitude, maybe some kind of provision. And this morning I thought, this is what people want. 
They want to be given specific spiritual practices. And as soon as they get them, they don't want to let them go because they think it's the actual action or spiritual practice that is important rather than their relationship with God that is facilitated through them. And because we like to turn things into idols and concrete realities, we then become very fixated on rituals, on definitive spiritual practices, and then we don't want to let them go. Whether it's praying the rosary or having any kind of specific prayer that you say by rote, whether it's how you pray, are you kneeling, are you standing, is it palms up? Maybe it's specific songs or hymns that you sing. Maybe it's specific kinds of meditation techniques. Maybe it's praying through icons or spiritual imagery, whether it's praying to the saints, whatever it is, we become attached to those practices and rituals. And that is beside the point. They are supposed to facilitate this communication between you and God. And I get into it myself where I think, oh, I haven't done that in the way that I normally do it. Okay, let's kind of start again. God isn't looking for you to do things in a specific way. He's looking for a communication with you. And if that is facilitated by you kneeling, is if that is facilitated by lighting a candle or looking at a stained glass window or looking at a cross, or if that is just facilitated by you sitting in a room as I was this morning alone and just beginning to speak and opening up that communication, even though I hadn't gone through any particular ritual, then that's what he wants us to do. And people who are very attached to spiritual disciplines and rituals are going to find that difficult. They might even find that heretical. And so we need to think about where they're coming from because there are kind of two ends of the spectrum, right? There are people, and this isn't just within Christianity, but this is in all, well, I was going to say all religions, but it's everywhere. People who are attached to their rituals and they believe that you have to do these things. Otherwise, there is no access to God or any kind of spiritual power. And then on the other end of the spectrum, it's kind of a free for all, isn't it? And a lot of these more charismatic churches really are too open. Right? There's absolutely no rules. And any kind of spiritual experience they're having, because they're very focused on experience and emotion, has to be from God. And so there's no discernment. So there's no discernment on one end of the spectrum and there's no freedom on the opposite end of the spectrum. And we need to be careful, as always, with both extremes. It is good to have specific prayers, and I've spoken about this before. There are certain psalms that I pray regularly. You know, I, I pray Psalm 51, David's great psalm of repentance, regularly for my benefit. Because I need to look at myself clearly in the mirror and say, yeah, I've gone astray. It's not a one-time prayer to pray the prayer of repentance because every day I'm veering off that path and I know very well the things that I keep doing that I shouldn't do that are just, I guess, part of my personality and I have to keep bringing myself back. This is what Psalm 32 is all about. 
When David said he kept silent and his bones wasted away, but when I acknowledged my sin to you, that's when healing came. And so I'm not against rituals and specific prayers, but when they have become dead works, when we're just doing them by rote, when they've become a superstition, when they are blocking us from having a living relationship with the living God, they are a problem. Because this is what we're talking about, isn't it? God is alive, okay? As Hagar said, the living one who sees me. And so if you're in a relationship with anyone, if you just turn up and do the same thing every single time you see them, it's not really a relationship, is it? Maybe people will do this if they um, go and see royalty or something. Oh, you've got to go through these rituals every single time. You've got to bow. You've got to say this. You've got to do this. But in your everyday relationships with people who you truly love and care about, you don't go through a set of rituals. You have a living relationship. You are reacting and interacting with each other. And sometimes these rituals just break that off. And they become a replacement for an active relationship with our living God who wants to have a relationship with us. That's the storyline or one of the main themes of the biblical story. God wants to have a relationship with us. He delights in us. We are his children and he wants us to speak to him, to pour out our heart as David and the other psalmists do, to lean on him, to put down our heavy burdens. And also to be in a state of praise and worship and reverence and gratitude. It's a loving relationship. It's not one where he's just angry with us all the time and so then demands us to do all these performative actions in order to be in his presence. But equally, on the other end of the spectrum, we need discernment. We cannot enter into spiritual experiences naively and believe that just because we are feeling good or happy or joyful or amped up that we're in connection with God. So we need guardrails, we need humility and we do need a healthy dose of the fear of the Lord and that comes from really knowing who God is, his power his intelligence, his supreme love for us, the creator of the whole universe. I mean, if you're looking at those images that come from the Hubble telescope and in your mind, meditate on this, that God is the creator of the universe. And so if those images are bringing a tear to your eye or bringing a sense of awe into your being, into your heart when you're looking at them, how much more should God elicit that response? If you're looking at a, a mountain range or some of the immensely beautiful images that we can see of our planet and you are just in awe of that, shouldn't you also be in awe of the creator? And the fact that he's willing to speak to us, that he cares about us, that he wants a relationship with us is mind-blowing and he's all-powerful. And so, of course, there's reverence, there's awe, there's deep respect and love. And also, we know he could wipe it all out in a second. He's sustaining the universe. He could bring it to an end in an instant. So, of course, we need a healthy fear of the Lord. 
And we don't have any of that when we're doing Eastern meditation practices. What are we meditating about? Who are we directing our attention to? Well, oftentimes we're directing it inwardly to ourselves. And all that does is make us very self-involved with a spiritual cloak on. There isn't any communication going on apart from the communication that might be going on in your own mind, which you are told within Eastern practices to just dismiss because it's just the monkey mind doing what the monkey mind does. And so I think we need to move away from these Eastern practices because they don't do what they claim to do. And if we are adopting Christian meditation and entering into this communication, we're asking for guidance, aren't we? We're asking to be changed. To pray is to change if you are praying to God. To meditate is to change if you are meditating with God. God's word is alive and active and God is alive. Christ is risen. Otherwise our prayers are just going up to the ceiling and our meditations are just focused on ourselves. And if you are using the Bible, scripture, to meditate with. Richard Foster offers a, a couple of suggestions, one of which is to imagine yourself in a particular story, say Jesus feeding the 5,000, to really sit in that scene, to try and imagine the smells, to try and feel, as he says, your rough skin on your hands, to hear the, the chattering and the wonder of people around you, to feel the hardness of the ground, or to take a single line of scripture and just meditate on that. Jesus saying, my peace I give to you. And the more that you can do this, the more that scripture will open up to you. It won't just be ink on a page. It will come alive, not just through the stories and the characters, if you're imagining what it would be like to be one of Jesus' disciples. What was it like to be Mary Magdalene? to be delivered from all of those demons? What was it like to be Peter when he denied Jesus? Why does the Apostle John call himself the beloved disciple? What was it like to be an ancient Israelite being freed from slavery? What was it like to be King David, constantly on the run, fearing for his life, crying out to God to save him? And when you try and jump into the story and empathise with the people who are writing the Bible, writing the Psalms, writing their testimony about Jesus in the New Testament, or the apostles writing to these early churches, when you try and put yourself in that place, it comes alive. And thankfully, we do have some very personal writings within the Bible, the Psalms, some of them are heartbreaking and you can relate to them because you felt like that in your own life. And the same with reading Paul's letters, They're so personal that you really get to know this real life person in history who set up the Christian churches in the beginning. Because sometimes it seems like some people read the scripture and they really want to kind of set it in stone. They don't want it to come alive. They see every single bit of it as a rule that we need to be keeping. We're not supposed to be using our imagination. This is why people have a problem with programs like The Chosen. And they're constantly making videos, getting very upset about it because 
the writers have used their imagination to kind of fill in the backstory of what it was like to be the apostles because we don't get that much information about them. And so the chosen fleshes it out while following many, many, many of the stories that are laid out in the Gospels about Jesus's life. But it seems like just the very idea of using your imagination to depict Christ or his disciples or anything that happened is frowned upon because everything needs to be set in stone. Everything needs to be spoken of to the letter. If you're going to do any kind of film or write any kind of book or do anything to kind of try and bring the Bible alive or Christ alive, it has to be to the letter. And I understand that impulse because we don't want to create a new Christ. I mean, I talk about this all the time, how much people deviate from who Christ really is and create a caricature of him. But that is very different to just being creative in telling the story. And The Chosen has reached hundreds of millions of people and they have done it outside the realms of the Hollywood studios because it's crowdfunded. It really is an astounding achievement. And so the kinds of things that people will get upset about are when Jesus within The Chosen is practicing his Sermon on the Mount with the disciple Matthew, the tax collector, and they don't like this idea. It's not in the Bible. How dare you say that Jesus had to practice his sermon with one of his disciples? He would just know what to say. And so they, they find it irreverent and disrespectful. But why wouldn't Jesus want to involve one of his disciples? Why did he choose people in the first place to be his disciples if he didn't want to interact with them and work with them? not just standing around dictating what they did, but bringing them into the plan. Because after all, he was going to send them out into the world after he left them. And so yes, that isn't in the Bible. We don't see Jesus preparing his Sermon on the Mount with Matthew. But it really brings the Sermon on the Mount alive. It brings it to life. It revivifies it for a new generation. And so I think we have to have a bit of grace and give people a bit of leeway that we're not condemning people because they want to do something creative. Because we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. God is communicating with us all the time. And I believe he desires there to be fresh teaching about him. Not to change the story, but pretty much everyone knows if you're watching The Chosen, it's not a word by word, sentence by sentence depiction of Jesus from any one gospel. It's a merger of the gospels. And so we, we shouldn't assume bad intent just because it's new and fresh and saying things in a slightly different way. And one of the great things about The Chosen is the depiction of Jesus as a Jew, as a first century Jew within the Roman Empire. And sometimes that is all lost because we live in the West and we've been through medieval Christianity. And certainly in, in this country, it's been entirely kind of anglicised. So sometimes we need to go back to what it was in the beginning to refresh our memory. And this is and was a multicultural movement of a kind that the world had never seen before because it was supposed to be done 
through love, not force. So we do need to give people grace, but we also do need discernment. And there are many people today claiming to speak for God, many celebrity prophets and pastors and teachers and online influencers. And in fact, many of those people are being exposed as being false teachers and prophets right now. Because people have been too open to believing anyone who says that they are speaking for God. And part of the reason is they don't know the Bible themselves. And so a lot of these people can manipulate Christ's words or the Old Testament to teach something like a prosperity gospel or essentially the law of attraction, or that Jesus just wants you to be healthy and rich. And people don't know any different because they're not reading the Bible for themselves. So we each have a responsibility to inform ourselves, to not be ignorant of the scriptures. We might have the bare bones of it, but I guarantee if you've never read the New Testament, you will be shocked at how Jesus is sometimes portrayed. And we need that. We need to be woken up to see the reality of these things. That Jesus was not actually big on rituals. And he was not really big on very verbose prayers that contained a lot of words. He told his disciples to pray in secret. He gave them the Lord's Prayer, which is very short. And condemned the Pharisees who were out there making a big deal of being religious and fasting and praying in public and putting all these heavy burdens on people through human traditions. So he wasn't big on rituals. He wasn't big on doing things by rote. And he also told us that he was going to send the Holy Spirit, the helper, the comforter, who was going to lead us into all truth. So telling us that we have access to God. God the Father and the Holy Spirit are one in the way that God the Father and Jesus are one. God's Spirit cannot be separated from God. God's incarnate word, Jesus, cannot be separated from God. So we have the Holy Spirit, who is God, dwelling within us, but we also need guardrails, and some of those guardrails are the spiritual disciplines. And one of the lines in Richard Foster's book, A Celebration of Discipline, jumped out immediately because I love his definition of discipline. He says, the disciplined person can do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. The disciplined person can live in the appropriateness of the hour. And I love that because so often today, People think that discipline is just following the same routine every day, whether it's a health regime, whether it's a diet, whether it's a spiritual practice or spiritual rituals. The discipline means I'm going to do this thing every single day at the same time. I'm not going to deviate from that path. If I do, then I'm not disciplined. But he's talking about living in the appropriateness of the hour, being so attuned to God that you know what is appropriate. Is it appropriate to study? Is it Bible study time? Does God want to speak to you through your Bible study to bring scripture alive to you? And the more time you spend with scripture, that is exactly what is going to happen. If you feel that it's dry when you first start out, please persevere. 
Please try a different translation in different language, more modern language that you can understand. Please just try a different book. There are 66 different books, different genres. Do you want the poetry of the Psalms? Do you want some pithy sayings from Proverbs? Do you want to read one of the Gospels about Jesus? Do you want to start with one of Paul's letters to the early church or a shorter letter, maybe from Jude? Do you want to go back to the beginning and actually read these stories from Genesis that we all think that we know, but then we read them and we're like, all oh, right. <laughs> that's different to how I remember it or how it was portrayed in one of these films from the 1950s. Do you want to read about the family sagas that went on during the period of the kings of Israel? Do you want to read again about Samson and Delilah or David and Goliath? Do you want to read some of the wisdom books like Ecclesiastes, which doesn't even seem like it should really be in the Bible? There are so many different books and genres. Your responsibility is also to, to, to do things that are going to help you to bring it alive. What are you interested in? And so start somewhere. Find a passage that speaks to you. And the more that you persevere, the more insight you will be given. That's the way that it works. But sometimes it isn't time for study. Sometimes you think, oh, I am going to sit down and read the Bible. And then all of a sudden you just feel really tired or that your mind has kind of switched off or become quiet. And maybe that's the time for meditation. Maybe that's the time for prayer. Or maybe you're feeling more energetic. Maybe that's the time to go out for a walk and listen for God while you're walking in nature. Or maybe it's time to be with people. Maybe it's time to go to church. Maybe it's time to celebrate. Maybe it's time to listen to some music. Maybe it's time to be of service and go and help your neighbour or your family. Maybe it's time to declutter your home so that you don't have so much stuff, so that you can begin to live a more simple life. Maybe it's time for fasting so that you can hear God more clearly. In other words, there are so many ways in which we can open up the door to God speaking to us and being with us. And maybe it is just being with each other. Maybe no words are needed. Maybe what you need is just an injection of his spirit. You need to be infused with his spirit and his life. And so maybe just sitting in silence, in solitude, is what is appropriate for that hour. And then it makes this relationship that you have with God very personal. And if you always have in your mind that you need discernment, that just because you sit down for the first time and start to meditate and you start to get these intuitions or you start to hear things coming into your mind, don't just assume it's from God, okay? We need discernment. We need to test the spirits. Because as soon as we open up to the spiritual world, the spiritual world will be open to us and it is very populated. And so we need to have the discipline also of discernment. Is what we are hearing aligned with scripture? Because the Holy Spirit won't contradict the Bible, won't lead you anywhere really apart from back to Jesus. And so if you're starting to hear things that kind of sound scriptural, but maybe aren't, then you know it's not from God. Ask 
God to protect you while you are praying. Ask God for discernment. But the main practical way to have discernment is to read the Bible and to really know what Jesus says, to really know what he taught. Because otherwise you'll be easily deceived by modern spiritual teachers who tell you that Jesus is just like the Buddha or that Jesus wants you to be enlightened or Jesus wants you to live your best life. And so knowledge is incredibly important. Increasing your knowledge, not being ignorant of what it says in the Bible. Prayer is important for many reasons. But prayer actually strengthens our faith. Because when we start to pray and we start to see our prayers answered, then we understand that God exists. Fasting is important so that we can clear our mind, have more clarity, so that we can get rid of some of these things that we are addicted to, that are clouding our minds and acting in the world as if we are in communion with God. In our actions throughout the day, and we're all going to fail at this, but just being aware when we are being convicted by the Holy Spirit, when you get those nudges, be attuned to your feelings. When you feel guilty about something, that's telling you something. And so Christian meditation and communication with God is going to lead you to act very differently in the world. And God is not going to be telling you to detach. He doesn't want detached, dissociated people. He might call you into solitude and silence for a time. You might have a period in the wilderness where you are learning how to hear God's voice. But that won't be forever. And it doesn't mean that while you're in that period of solitude and quietness and simplicity that you can forget about all the people in your life, that you can stop helping your neighbour and your family just because you feel that God has called you to have some personal time with him to prepare you for the next phase of life. So all of this is very practical and all of these spiritual disciplines are there to change you. You're not supposed to be staying the same and you're certainly not supposed to be stagnating in a pool of peace and detachment just so you can get through life, just so you can bear the suffering. When Jesus is telling us to bear our own suffering, to pick up our cross, that means we're to actually deal with it head on, not run away from it, not hide under the covers not put our headphones on and chill out to a meditation app. Because bearing the suffering, dealing with these painful emotions, is what is going to help us grow. And knowing that God is with us through our trials and tribulations is going to be of great comfort. And we're going to have those times, like David, where we cry out, even in anger and say, God, what are you doing? Where are you? Why am I going through this? And often you won't hear anything back. But those times when you feel that God isn't with you are the times when he's asking you to mature. And we mature by taking responsibility for our lives, 
for not running to God for every little thing and asking him to instantly change things, instantly heal me, instantly bring me money, instantly take this grief and pain away. No, we need to sit with it. It produces endurance. It helps us to mature. It increases our faith because when we come out the other side, we realise that God really was with us all along. That we thought that we were falling headlong into the pit, but actually we weren't. And he will draw us out of that pit, that net. He will draw us out of our own sin. He will draw us out of ourselves and our constant self-involvement. But it won't always happen in your timing. And that just means that he's helping you, that he's disciplining you, that he's sculpting you and transforming you into the person that he wants you to be. Strong, courageous, filled with faith that God is with you. Steadfast, wise. And you don't get wisdom by running away from your problems. You don't get wisdom by bathing yourself in peace. You don't get wisdom when you're only focusing on the present moment. How could you? We need to engage our minds, our brains, our intelligence. And commune with the mind that brought everything into being in the first place. That's how we grow in wisdom, knowledge and understanding. So I would definitely encourage you to buy a copy of Richard Foster's book, A Celebration of Discipline. It was first published in 1978. I have the 1988 updated version with the study guide included. It's been published many times after that. And even from the first chapter, the first line, in fact, I thought, yeah, this is a book that I want to read. This is a book I can relate to where he says, and bearing in mind this is in 1978, superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant satisfaction is a primary spiritual problem. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. The classical disciplines of the spiritual life call us to move beyond surface living into the depths. They invite us to explore the inner caverns of the spiritual realm. They urge us to be the answer to a hollow world. We must not be led to believe that the disciplines are only for spiritual giants and hence beyond our reach, or only for contemplatives who devote all their time to prayer and meditation. Far from it. God intends the disciplines of the spiritual life to be for ordinary human beings. People who have jobs, who care for children, who wash dishes and mow lawns. In fact, the disciplines are best exercised in the midst of our relationships with our husband or wife, our brothers and sisters, our friends and neighbours. Neither should we think of the disciplines as some kind of dull drudgery aimed at exterminating laughter from the face of the earth. Joy is the keynote of all the disciplines. The purpose of the disciplines is liberation from the stifling slavery to self-interest and fear. Self-interest and fear, absolutely. Still a problem in our time today. Nearly 50 years 
from when he first wrote those words. And so if you want to be taken out of yourself rather than to fall more deeply into yourself, the Christian disciplines laid out in his book are going to help you to do that. Try not to be too rigid. Try not to be too open. Try and find that happy medium with the Bible being your guardrail. Spend some time with God so that you can begin to feel his presence and become attuned to what is appropriate for you in each hour. And so I'll list all the references from the Bible or any other books that I've spoken about in the podcast notes. And I'll speak to you again very soon.